we want to get our stuff on some people's backs and fronts. A book podcast. Uh, my shit. That's not it. <laughs> Welcome to Book to Where Two Guys Tell You About the Books They Are Reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, I'd like to start this episode out with a little announcement. Um, so last week we did our uh, super ultra mega long episode on conspiracy theories. <laughs> um, without Rob knowing, I had uh, developed a couple of items to sell and... Uh, I mean, Rob, we have listeners everywhere, right? We already know this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Goddamn people in the FDA listen. <laughs> um, and those items have since been removed from our from our bookstore. So um, what were the names of those items? Super Podcast Pro Plus and Literary First Plus are uh, no longer available for sale at bookedpodcast.myshopify.com. Wait, so the storefront is empty? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, no, because we're paying for that storefront. So I went ahead and replaced what really, truly were two of the greatest products of all time, um, as as evidenced by the testimonials we had on the last two episodes, uh, and replaced it with like T-shirts and oh. a coffee mug and a sweatshirt. So uh, for the time being, bookedpodcast.myshopify.com um, is up and running, and you can purchase some swag from that uh, from that site. I know that. We had shirts. Was it year two we had shirts? Yeah, it was pretty... Well, yeah, it was like 2013, I think. Yeah, and uh, we, yeah. we sold a, a good number of shirts, and then we've had people ask us about them. And like anything else that we do, um, sometimes it takes us a little while. Well, the, the shirts <laughs> and sweatshirts and tank tops are up and available. If you are in the UK, shipping is super stupid expensive, but we're working on something for you. So here's what I'm going to say. If you're in the UK and you really want to buy a T-shirt, don't do it yet. Um, but I think sometime in August there will be a, a pretty significant discounted shipping for, for you guys that are uh, in the UK. If you live anywhere else, I don't know what to tell you. Pay the ridiculous expensive shipping, I guess. Yeah, we got those. Uh, we got Thomas Joyce out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Craig There's Walwork, a, Craig Walwork yeah. is out there. Maybe he wants to rep some booked. And uh, if not, I'm sure there are plenty of people whose names we don't know because we do yeah. get we do get quite a few downloads from uh, from from the UK. Sure, sure we do. So anyway, um, <laughs> just wanted to get that uh, public service announcement. Sorry, podcasts that did not purchase Super Podcast Pro Plus in time to have your podcast last longer and have more rewarding listenership. Um, you missed the boat, and uh, uh, maybe that'll wind up being available through the dark web. Hey, wait, That's... were they see? Did they seize this stuff, or do you have like a stockpile somewhere? Like, are we going to be how able you, to? How do you think this podcast keeps going? Yeah, we yeah Super Podcast Plus Proing or whatever. Something like that. Um, that's great. I mean, I, I'm, all I'm going to say is it's it's summertime and we we're selling tank tops that say booked, so it's like a sun's out, guns out kind of thing, right? Couldn't you? Uh, I feel like you're a you're you're a tank top kind of guy. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I used to be a tank top kind of guy. In my old age, I've become more uh, reserved, I guess. <laughs> not not you don't want to show off your your beefy arm muscles you know it's weird because I, I used to spend my summers in in like sandals and shorts and tank tops all the time and like outside all the time and now i don't go outside unless i absolutely have to <laughs> i think this happened this started around the time you started to boycott starbucks this um is a correlation versus causation or gotcha. something i'm not sure which one's which but yeah i'm thinking that that might have something to do with it gotcha um 
great. I'm looking forward to it. Please, everybody, check out. Um, I need to re-up my, my own personal booked uh, shirt supply. Mine are getting a little bit snug. And I'm just going to blame that on the number of times it's gone through the wash. Nothing. To yeah, do with, they nothing. shrink over years like yeah. that, man. Nothing to do with me. Um, that's exciting. But we're here to uh, to review a book. We we didn't do it last week because of the conspiracy theory episode. But um, we're here to talk about the Brick Eaters by the Residents. And um, here's the really long bio. Alternately seen as a rock band, an arts collective, and a spirit, the residents has been regarded as icons. The residents have been regarded as icons in the world of experimental music for over 40 years. In addition to their groundbreaking work in the areas of trance, world fusion, electronica, punk, industrial, and lounge music, the group has also been credited with being among the originators of performance art and music video. Performance art? I'm imagining that's hundreds of years old. I must be misinterpreting that. Their early videos are in the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art, and their freak show CD-ROM was featured in MoMA's Looking at Music 3.0 exhibition. Their four-decade-long career has also taken them into the world of film and television music, having scored numerous films and TV series, as well as several projects for MTV. In addition, the group is also thriving in the world of digital media, having released 10 DVDs and two internet series. Zero books are mentioned in that bio. <laughs> it's from Amazon, and it's from the, the book page for, for the Brick Eaters. So it's yeah. not like I just grabbed it from a right. CD, you know? Yeah. Um, let's, let's start this uh, right out front and say that uh, I went ahead and listened to the better part of probably 10 or 12 um, residence songs and totally, totally not for me. Mm-hmm. Totally now, not a surprise. Uh, now I believe, and I'm, I'll let you speak to this. The residents were a very influential band or in the, they were a strong influence on one of your favorite bands. Is that correct? Am I getting, am I saying that right? That is pretty accurate. Yeah. Primus is a band that I'm really into. And, um, not only do they mention the residents in their songs, but they they've either grabbed parts of songs or actually you know covered entire songs of of resident songs on their albums, like um the song Constantinople, which I'm sure we will talk about, <laughs> was done either in part or in full by Primus at one point. So yeah. So we have musicians who, well, I guess we could we'll talk about them a little more. But uh, musicians who have written a book, and this book is credited uh, to the band, the Residents. So yeah. it's not uh, one specific person; it's uh, it's credited to the entire band. Here is the synopsis: If the Brick Eaters was a film, it would be a buddy movie with the pals being a very tall and young internet content screener teamed up with an aging career criminal whose primary companions are an oxygen bottle and a forty-four Magnum. After a short crime spree, they conspire to defeat a middle-aged lottery winner determined to pollute the L.A. water supply with massive amounts of fluoride. Desperately in need of distraction, the story is told by an alcoholic writer recently abandoned by his wife. That's pretty dead on. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that is the story as we know it. Um, we'll give you a little bit more of a breakdown. Uh, the story starts with uh, Franklin Blodgett. That'd be the right way to say that. Blodgett, yeah, I Blodgett, think so. Yeah. Who um, is uh, is recently divorced, 
and he's uh, he's sitting in his apartment in L.A. and uh, sees a news report about a man found uh, dead by the side of the road, and there's a his oxygen tank and a 44 Magnum within reach, and he decides to pack all his shit up and go out to the Midwest to look into writing a story about this, which, quite frankly, I don't know if you're with me on this, was probably the most unrealistic part of this whole book. Um, I think there was a little bit of a logical leap. Um, uh, but, like, yeah, something about, I think it was the old dude part of it, like, being, you know, who's obviously some sort of criminal but enfeebled because he's got the oxygen tank, was my take on why it was, was you know, alluring to him. Like, there had to be, like, maybe there was a big, long story involved. But, yeah, it's a little bit of a leap. So, uh, this is, the the book is, is kind of interesting because... We'll probably talk about timelines a little bit, but um, Frank flies, like Olivia said, to Missouri and goes to, um, you know, the town where the, the, the body is being held or whatever. And he just starts to investigate and he's trying to pick up, you know, information to, to write a story. And um, yeah, it's just it's just this dude kind of ping, uh, pinballing around like this little like Missouri town trying to, to pry information from people who are, you know, I wouldn't say depicted as, like, being hickish, but, like, it's definitely like that, you know, little town, everything moves slower, you know, kind of thing. And um, and then, yeah, the dude's just doing an investigation. It's straight up investigating. Yeah, this this book is uh, very much your, your private investigator book. I keep going back to... Um, Oh, what was the what was the PI book that we read by the God? This makes for such great podcasting. Um, the <laughs> chick that wrote Harry Potter. <laughs> yes, um, you're talking about J.K. Rowling, who was going yes. under the Robert Galbraith. That's it, Robert yeah, and, Galbraith. Um, it was uh, oh, it was like a bird. Uh, what was it? Yeah, yeah, that book. Any rate, do you remember when we read that and and you know people were like, oh, this is a breakout book, it's whatever, and we were like, this is super standard PI stuff. Like I don't know anything, so I'm going to go around and just ask people what yeah. they know, and that's what a good portion, you know, the first half of this book probably is, is just your very classic PI story, only it's a, a journalist and not a private investigator, and then uh, I'll say would seem to just be very stereotypical. Midwestern people. The Cuckoo's so, Calling was the name of that book. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So Blodgett goes around and talks to a variety of people, and it's this little podunk town, and it's very stereotypical. Everybody has some crazy kind of story, or they're super quirky people, because that's it was like it was like um it was a little bit like Twin Peaks. Oh yeah. So, I see so, what you're so the cast from the Missouri cast of of this story was would have fit perfectly in in Twin Peaks. Everyone's yeah, got a weird backstory or something of import that happened, or they're putting a ton of importance on something that isn't really important, but it's a big deal to them. So very vignette-y. Yeah, and so um, the first people he he encounters in Clinton, Missouri, the police force. He meets Patty, who is like kind of like a bombshell kind of girl. Um, yeah who's like the receptionist person and um, a deputy, uh, a female, female deputy, right? Yes. Named Bernie Bodie. Mm-hmm. So based on information he gets from 
uh, the police. Um, he kind of sweet talks Patty into giving him some information he's not supposed to have. And that puts him on to discovering um, one of the big characters in the book, which is Ted Hendricks, who is the um, content screener guy that's uh, mentioned in the synopsis. Um, so he's put on, on the, the scent of, of Ted Hendricks, and that's where um, the investigation really starts to, to, t- to gain momentum because this is where he finally like gets a hook into someone who's actually like involved with what had gone down and, and, you know, would actually know, be able to like provide firsthand accounts of, of what happened to this old guy with the oxygen tank. Mm-hmm. Rob was a little prophetic in um, saying that the when after reading the synopsis, I still didn't see it, but you had said that you had a feeling this was going to be a little bit of Warren Ellis crooked little vein. Yeah. Um, and although that one went a lot deeper, so it's the same kind of thing, right? They're traveling around, they're just getting these clues, they're trying to track this thing down, but they they kind of delve into the sexual underground of America. Um, this one I think had a similar feel because there was a lot of like vignette pieces uh, about these people. But when he got to the content screener and that guy started talking about his job, that yeah. felt like it should have like if Crooked Little Vein was written today, that would have been one of the stops for the characters in that. Yeah, and I actually have. This- a couple of, of I have one or two examples if you think it's a good time. Sure. Um, let's see. I think he worked for it. Was it trusty tech? was the name of the company that he worked for. Yeah. Something like data that. purification services. Um, so this is a description of, um, uh, Frank's impression of what Ted's job is. Um, Companies like YouTube, Facebook, Google, Vimeo, Twitter, Tumblr, etc. outsource their censorship problems to Trusty Tech and its competitors. In other words, if you collected all your girlfriend's turds for six months, made a video of yourself eating them slathered in maple syrup, posted it on YouTube, and some asshole flagged it as inappropriate, then Ted Hendricks or one of his colleagues would eventually wind up watching it, among other less tasteful images and videos. It was not a pretty job. So I love that he frames it as some asshole flags it for content. Yeah, like come on, great man. stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're just doing your thing, and some jerk off needs to get involved and play. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't think about that, but that's a very real job. It's like somebody be, yeah. has to review, um, and, and some of that can be very, very mundane, right? So if somebody um, posts a lewd picture on Facebook. Right. And someone reports it for content. Like someone looks at a picture and says, oh, yeah, we can see a guy's balls. Yeah, we should probably go ahead and remove that. (laughs) Well, but you know what I mean? Like, so that would be like kind of the the lamer part the the whole. um, No, I'm pissed at my ex-girlfriend. So I'm going to post her nudie photos to her wall so that everyone will see them like that probably happens. You know, that's kind of thing. And, and, And again, today, I can only imagine what kind of stuff gets flagged for content. That's just statements people make. Like there's got to be a whole oh, yeah. new yeah. over the last two years. Right. Uh, this, this emergence of um, I don't like this person saying so I'm going to flag it for content. But, yeah, there's probably a lot of stuff that's really super questionable. And I don't know that one person has to see all the bad stuff. I imagine the real job of someone like this is a lot of, you know, exactly what I just said, probably nudie photos and a lot of claims of uh, racism or anti-Semitism in a, in a statement or a meme that's put up or something, you know, so they have to look at fairly mundane things and be like, yeah, this is okay. This isn't. 
but yeah, I, I just imagine the depravity, um, especially early on. Like, I think we understand the Internet rules now maybe a little better. Right. Yeah. But 20, 25 years ago, I mean, you could find about well, 20 years ago. You can find bestiality by searching bestiality and clicking a link. Like you could find pictures. <laughs> like that's you know what I mean. So it's yeah. it's kind of the wild west, and and it's not so much anymore. But yeah, there's probably still some of that that people have to have to look through. I guess what I'm saying is I don't feel like it. It felt like this character, um, Ted, was uh, like only saw super terrible stuff all the time. And I highly doubt that enough of it ends up on one person's plate where it's like four days in a row. All he's doing it is staring right at videos of a woman having sex with a monkey is one of the, or gorilla rather. Um, or is it chimpanzee? Was, yeah. But chimpanzee yeah, is, is one of the things they talk about in this book. So I, I don't think that comes up terribly often. I'd hope not. I mean, hopefully the pay is good. Um, Wait for Ted or for the chimp or the woman or who? Oh, I was talking about, for the Ted job, but I mean, all uh, three of them, I guess, ultimately with the wait with the woman in the, Oh, so you're thinking the person who's videoing the woman and the chimp is, is paying both of them. Well, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I guess it depends. Cause the chimp can't pay the woman because it's a chimp, but the woman and the woman, right, but the woman could be paid by somebody Yeah, yeah. or, but see, okay. So, <laughs> so I feel like we're back in the conspiracy theory episode. All right. I think that, and I don't know this for a fact, right? But I, I feel like I read somewhere that men in pornography make less money than women. I feel like that's an accurate statement. I don't, and I would imagine that that's because they're just easier to find. Like somebody yeah. is getting more out of this interaction. Okay. So could we agree on that? I'm pretty sure that that's, uh, unless you're talking about gay porn, and then I think it's entirely different. Well, yeah, then both men are probably getting paid probably equally. Would be my guess. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Any rate, so I, if you I guess take what that, I was saying is like I think men in gay porn probably get paid more than men in straight porn. Oh, oh, I got you. It's like it's like this. Thing. All right. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Um, but if we take that model and we move it over to the chimpanzee and the woman, you have to ask yourself who has more to gain out of this. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, like, is the woman more into having sex with a chimp or is the chimp more into having sex with a woman? Because whoever is on the um, lesser end of that spectrum is probably the one that's compensated better. Well, I can't imagine a chimp is just sitting around thinking, I've always wanted to have sex with a human woman. You know, what so I'm you saying? think the chimp is the higher paid of the performers? Yeah, I don't think the chimp cares. I think the chimp is just like, all right, was I guess so. That would Interesting. be my impression. It'd be a lot of interesting googling after this after this episode. I didn't really think about them getting paid at all until we started talking about it. <laughs> um, I'm fairly certain, and this is the funny thing about this conversation is that, like in the book, it never mentioned anything about pay when it came to the. <laughs> we just introduced that someone's yeah. got to get paid for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, um, and, and and it'll be a little dicey about what we can talk about because obviously spoilers, blah blah blah. But um, at, at, at one point, um, so basically the way that the story is being told is um, Franklin, Frank, is is what whatever Frank learns, that's what we learn. So, like, we're kind of coming from his perspective as far as, like, what we know about the story he's investigating. And so um, it wasn't until he successfully kind of talked to Ted that he started to learn about what was going on with... Um, the guy that was dead. And so 
Um, getting Ted on his side and, and at least to the point where Ted's willing to give him information is really where he starts to crack this case open. Um, and it, it's, it's, uh, do we just talk about how Ted and the other guy meet up? I, I mean, I think I want to talk a little bit about, cause we had said how it's like a real standard PI story. Well, it's up until yeah. that point. Okay. Because really all he has to do is find Ted. And of course there's kind of a back and forth, but then Ted, reveals everything there's no longer any investigating yeah so halfway into the book give or take all the investigating stops which which was a, an yeah, interesting really gears yeah and 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 like a hard turn mm-hmm. you know what i mean because you're into it and, and i thought to myself like man i'm on page like 30 and he's already like interviewed like three people who have all given him a little bit of information like it seems like he's going to have to interview like 700 people during the course of this book at this pace <laughs> yeah and that's not the case um and then then it kind of turns into you know I, I don't even know how to then it almost turns into like say almost like a heist movie but that's not it like they have to get into somewhere you know what i mean it's it's so it it, it transitions yep. from the uh, stop the bad guy movie right yeah, yeah yeah which is yeah i mean i don't know it's it's a little all over the place i guess it's like the scooby gang so it turns from like um this guy trying to to figure out what's going on and like like you said so he does he gets a little clue and he follows it and he gets a little clue and he follows it and he does a little investigating online and he uses some tricks that he knows but like the big payoff is Ted, like you said, and Ted just is a is a is a waterfall of information. And then um, from there, as the investigation dries up, because like he knows what he needs to, he becomes personally involved in um, the what they're trying to stop, which is mentioned in the synopsis, which is <laughs> this middle aged lottery winner determined to pollute the L.A. water supply. So the interesting thing about this is, like, that character isn't even really introduced until beyond the halfway mark in this book. And it's and it's a big part of the plot, but it's not a part of the plot you get to until, like, you're, you're seriously, like, half to two-thirds of the way through this book. Break away, because we, I mean, we said the synopsis is spot on, but that was a little disappointing to me. Because um, yeah. I knew that's who they were looking for, and it was an issue of how do they get from... Ted and, and, and Wilmer Graves, the, the old dead guy, to the the water terrorist. Water terrorist, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, knowing it in the back of your mind, you're just constantly looking for that to appear. And, yep. and you know, if this is a P.I. novel, which maybe it's not, but, you know, it would just be nice for them to discover that, that over the course of the book and not for you to... Every time new characters introduced, be like, "Huh, I wonder if this is the guy who wants to pollute the LA water supply." Yeah, and so um, I guess what I'm what I what I'm guessing is is going on is like like I mentioned before, the way the book is written, we we have Franklin Frank's um, perspective, and and even though the story isn't told in an entire linear way, we learn it in a linear fashion from Frank's point of view. Um, basically, like we are going you know, in complete, um, like chronological order up to the point where he starts getting information from Ted, which is told in flashbacks. But again, that's information that we're getting. Everything is in one straight line. And what maybe this book could have benefited from was more of a fractured timeline where like we're seeing, um, little vignettes or chapters separately from the perspective of, 
um, the bad guy, or at least kind of like checking in on what the bad guy's up to mm -hmm. um, independently so that it all kind of meets up instead of like us just following like the breadcrumbs the whole time. That's a good point. Um, there is a little bit of a romance that blossoms, so you've got a little bit of that, but it's in a really weird way. <laughs> I, I just realized that we've been talking about this book, like like kind of on a on a on a downward path, right? And there's really a lot of good things in this book. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, totally. And, and one of them really is um, Frank's uh, potential relationship with Patty. <laughs> yeah. And I fucking love this storyline. Because and I'm, I don't think I'm giving away too much, but Frank like starting to think he's in. Then he figures out he's totally not in at one point, and I was like, "This is fucking perfect." Like I love that that whole thing up until that point yep. was done super super well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mentioned that the vignettes are really kind of stereotypical podunk town, clearly written by somebody with I'm gonna say probably a little bit of a disdain for middle America. Did you get that feeling? Not a high opinion for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was like, all right, this is what it is. But, you know, but those vignettes on their own, if you took, how do I say, if you took one of them out of the book, I'd be like, that's an interesting, fun little Midwestern story. When you pile them all together, it starts to feel a little heavy handed. Yeah. But like um, individually, I thought they were, they were enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, I don't know how much detail we want to go into, but there was um one of the one of the Patty plot points, um, that was alliteration right there. The Patty plot points mm -hmm. was um her mother being in the hospital, and without talking too much about it, the Patty and her mother story was probably the most emotionally authentic. I think part of the whole book. Um, and it actually gave us good insight into how good of an investigator Frank is because he, you know, was with Patty with her mom in the hospital and like witnessed what was like objectively happening in front of him. And then like in her talking about it afterwards and the way she thought things were going, um, and his insights about that and like how that story kind of paid off later, you know, like, man, he really knew what was going on. Um, and, and it was, and it was good, but it also like the the patty and her mom story paid off really well yeah i agree and that's what i'm saying like that story on its own really good yep um you know but but like i said when you pile the other stories around it it starts to feel a little oppressive for, yeah. for the midwest yeah. so um i don't know how much else we're going to talk about plot wise i will say the one thing we didn't mention is there's a considerable considerable amount of humor in this book and i will say for my taste very good humor mm -hmm. like Lots of chuckle-worthy things. Um, Frank's uh, mindset, and you know, like so we see eighty-five percent of the story through his eyes. The only time we're, we're really not in his eyes is that Ted is relating his story with Wilmer to him. But even then, like some of his reactions, like some of his I'd say intro and outros to those scenes are really, really funny. I mean, so he's he's a really entertainingly written character. Yeah, I agree. Um... Yeah, it's a light book, and it's a fast read. I don't know how long it took you to read it, but, I mean, this was one of my read-it-in-one-day things, and it wasn't, like, an all-day thing. It was <laughs> a few hours, and I knocked it out. So which book wasn't an all-day thing for you, like a one-day, all-day thing? That's what we should I've keep actually, track of. Yeah, I've been trying to parcel them out a little bit uh, yeah. lately just to see how that goes, and it's it's a lot less stressful. 
Yeah. So. Well, that's, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I read this in four sittings, maybe a couple of those were just like lunchtime where I only had half an hour to read. So, you know, it kind of forces me to step away from the book. But uh, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's a very quick read. And, 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 you know, like I said, fairly entertaining. To uh, illustrate the fairly entertaining, um, there's a there, there's a whole thing where um, he's driving back into town from somewhere else, and like uh, I don't remember what it is. Um, I think he was getting sleepy behind the wheel. It's the crash. Mm-hmm. He was getting a little sleepy behind the wheel, but he had also had a little bit of of, of something to drink, and we're, we're definitely gonna talk about that. And um, the car goes off the road and gets like kind of stuck in a ditch and there's this like just comic scene where like everything he tries to do just like the worst possible outcome happens from it and then mm-hmm. it like leads to um the the car like burning and um and he's and it's snowing and it's in the midwest and it's snowing and he's all scared about like hypothermia and dying in the cold and there's this like whole paragraph about like you know being cold and everything and um and I'm going to read a little bit out of it as I sat there feeling the effects of the bourbon numbing my brain, I tried to recall everything I could remember about freezing to death. It seems that hypothermia happens in three stages, with the most curious behavior coming in stage three, where the victim often exhibits an apparent self-protective action known as terminal burrowing, where the individual at this point incoherent attempts to enter a small enclosed space. <laughs> this behavior is often accompanied by another completely counterintuitive reaction known as paradoxical undressing. Finding naked people frozen to death has often caused potential rescuers to erroneously believe that the deceased person had also been a victim of sexual assault and especially curious confluence of personal misfortune. And that's all true. I don't know if you're, I don't know how much you know about that, but like that's all 100% accurate, but it reads so fucking entertaining. It was written so authoritatively that I didn't question it. Yeah. There's, I've heard of another podcast I've listened to and stuff. They've talked about those two things the terminal uh what is it uh terminal burrowing and the paradoxical undressing and and yeah they're definitely legit things yeah and <laughs> it felt like things in this book were all based in in reality and in weird reality yeah so you know we talked about ted and his job right and how maybe it was a little overplayed but yeah there's somebody who has to do that and this is true and there are a variety of other things the thing about fluoride is true yep um, you know, and, and but all of it is is it's like a Dan Brown book, just on a on a less global <laughs> scale. Like all of this is true. Um, all all those stories, like like I said, the Midwestern stories. If, if we read an interview with whoever wrote this book, right, and they said like every one of those stories, my uncle would tell every year at Thanksgiving, I would believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all felt, uh, you know, very, very kind of genuine. And, and the whole book felt, you know, mostly very genuine. Like I said, my biggest issue with the book is that he, you know, it, it doesn't sound like he's like really financially, you know, high on the hog. <laughs> he like disrupts his, yeah. his life to go and investigate a dead guy found by the side of the road. Um, other than that, you know, and, and that that did it bothered me for some reason more than it probably should have. And I, I get the feeling more than it bothered you. Um, but other than that, like, you know, by and large, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was an okay, it was a very plausible book, I guess. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty much exactly what I was expecting it to be. I have a couple of specific nitpicks, if that's okay. Sure. Do you want to do those here and spoiler talk? This doesn't spoil anything. Okay. 
Um, this one is really entertaining because I think this is the first time, at least, that I've noticed a typo where I think the typo got past everybody in the editing process because the typo was the the word the the wrong word is a real word, but it's different than the word I know that they meant to use. If that makes sense, it does to me. But I, I must have not caught this. So the I'll read this sentence the way it's supposed to go, and then I'll read the sentence the way it actually is written. The odd assortment of utterly useless timepieces crowding the walls of a dilapidated diner struck me as the perfect setting for a Twilight Zone episode. Dilapidated is the word that is a typo. The actual Mm -hmm. word is the odd assortment of utterly useless timepieces crowding the walls of a depilated diner. And I looked Hmm. up that word. Okay. And it it means like removing hair. Like, (laughs) like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um. It's uh, I'm sure the typo passed because depilated wouldn't show up in like a word kind of thing. Um, sure. Like with the, it wouldn't have the little squiggly red line underneath it. Mm-hmm. And people just probably like zoomed past it. So that was the first time I'm like, this typo survived because it was accidentally a real word. Interesting. Yeah. And that, that could have been um, that could have been an autocorrect typo. Yeah. So that's close enough that if someone just spelled dilapidated wrong enough. Right. Unless they really corrected. meant yeah. a place mm. that had its hair removed. A, a, a diner that had had its hair removed. Yeah, that's a little Probably that's not. a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, a couple other, like, I, 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 just real quick ones. Like, once, um, there's just a couple of, just the way they were written didn't really, like, sit well with me. Man, but Rob hasn't word snobbed shit in a really long time. Hun- yeah, hundreds of episodes. Um, this one I just didn't. This one, this line made me think. Oh, yeah, this is the residence. This makes sense. But the line was, "Wow, my head was spinning like an ice skater on acid." <laughs> I was like, mm. but then I was like, "It's the residence. Like, it's totally their style, based on the music I've listened to from them." And then the other one is. Um, uh, I won't tell you what's going on, but all swarming around your brain, like bees abusing a legless lamb. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know how that's going to help anybody imagine what's going on, but it's it's vivid. Yeah, that it, that it is. It is. <laughs> so those are my couple of little word snobs. Wow. When's the last time we actually used the phrase word snob? It, it had to be like under episode 50 it had to be earlier than episode 50 I'm oh guessing. i don't know i would say probably a hundred but yeah that's maybe right so for anybody who hasn't listened that far back it seemed like every week rob had <laughs> like rob looked for a couple of things he was like all right i need some some points on the plot to discuss i need some stuff on the characters to discuss i have to find something to shit talk the writing about yeah like, i had like, i was i was like a sniper yeah yeah, and, yeah. And, but you know what? And, and I think in the vast majority of cases, correctly so. Yeah. Yep. I don't think there were too many times where I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. You know, I think a lot of time I was like, yeah, that's you presented some pretty compelling evidence. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I, I'm ready to talk a little spoilers if you are. Yeah. So you might be thinking to yourself, how do I hear this spoiler talk? Well, spoiler talk is only available to our Patreons. Um, Patreon.com/booked. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to Spoiler Talk. That's where we go and talk about things that would just be too spoilery for the actual episode. So if you're a Patreon subscriber and you're not intending to read this book, head on over and listen to that after you're done with this episode. um, Or do it now and come back. 
Um, if you uh, are planning on reading the book, probably not a great place to go in here because we're going to talk, uh, by and large, um, about the end of the book. And if it's something you're interested in or you just want more booked, and hell, even if you don't want spoilers, if you just want to support uh, one of your favorite podcasts or even this one, just uh, send us a $1 <laughs> a month, patreon.com. You can do it through PayPal, I think, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. so it's super easy to do, and uh, it helps fund the war. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say before we jump over to the to the, the spoiler talk, I want to welcome our newest patron and thank him, uh, Charles Baker. Thank you for for um, signing up to give us money on a monthly basis. Charles, I know from work, and um, he is actually he uh, is is you don't know this, Livius, but he's had a big impact on us because he was the guy that gave me the recommendation that started the time travel episode. I do know this. Okay. I, I wouldn't have said it because I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I was pretty sure that when you mentioned him, that, that yeah. was the guy. So anyway, he, yeah, he gave Charles, us the time travel you. episode. Thank you for the time travel episode. And thank you for being the latest warrior. <laughs> getting <into a laughs> In the race. war against, uh, what poor literary, poor literary choices. Okay. All right. We're jumping over to spoiler talk. You'll hear us almost instantaneously. All right, we're back from spoiler talk. Um, Rob and I on a lot on the same page on uh, on spoiler talk, which is always a good thing. Makes makes me feel like you know, like like I got it right <laughs> that I have someone else agree. You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. you just wonder if it's just your take on something. Um, I'm ready to go into wrap ups. Are you? Yeah, I just want to say I like that you said we're on the same page. Ah, page, get it? I got it. <laughs> Um, we did not mention, well, so there's a couple things to mention, and I guess we can do this before our wrap-ups. First of all, we called Paul and Nick out on doing this. Um, we honestly did not. So this is, this is us. Like we're a little slanted, right? We called out Paul and Nick for (laughs) self-referencing. Yep. You know who we didn't call out for self-referencing, right? Hmm. Paul Tremblay. Oh yeah. He mentioned, um, he mentioned his book. Yeah. He mentioned disappearance of doubt. He alluded to, or did he straight so, out name drop? No, he did not name drop. He alluded, he alluded to, to disappearance of Devil's Rock. But to go back to that review, because this is solid podcasting, I want you to, to, to remember <laughs> back. A book is mentioned twice. In the first one, he says, and I think he's referring to the president is missing because he says, oh, the the hot book that everyone's going to be reading this summer with an improbable disappearance by an important person. Wow, I don't remember that. Yeah. So that's the first time. The second time he mentions it, it's definitely disappearance of Devil's Rock. But then I was yeah. like, well, someone goes missing in that, too. Right. And I couldn't be bothered, of course, to find, you know, in a paper book to search back to the first reference. <laughs> but anyway. So we didn't call him out on that. Um, let's see. Are we going to call it the residents? At one point, they mentioned their their biggest song. I'm guessing based on uh, the number of plays on the music service that I use, Constantinople. How yep. do we feel about that? Yeah, it's pretty blatant. Um, it, it didn't really. Here's the thing. It didn't serve to further the plot in any way. So it was just. I think it was a little bit of you know, self pleasure. All right. Um, interestingly enough, we didn't talk about it. Let's, let's save this for after, after we do our wrap ups, I'm going to go into my wrap up. (laughs) Um, this book was a little all over the place and I'm not sure how intentional that was in spoiler talk. I I'd mentioned that, you know, the, the music they write is a little all over the place. So maybe this was written in that style. I'm not sure. 
um, I will carry this over from spoiler talk. If the book was written in the style of the residence for residence fans, like that's cool because I'm sure they want their fans to read this book. Um, but the goal as a writer, I would have to imagine, again, not speaking from personal experience, is that you want readers to read your book. So uh, maybe a storyline that was a little more cohesive or, or a little, I don't know, followed a, a, a better curved arc or something um, might have been more beneficial. That being said, the story is okay. I don't don't I don't dislike the story. I think the story is okay, but where this book shines is in some of the characters. And uh, we've talked about it, but I'll quickly mention um, Frank, uh, no better person to tell this story than than him. He's sarcastic and funny and um, insightful in ways that are entertaining. Um, you know, you've got Patty, and and I know Rob's going to probably talk about this, but her storyline with her mother's great. Um, you've got really great vignettes. They just seemed a little bit maybe even prejudicial at times because um, there were so many of them um, kind of poking fun at the Midwest, uh, the Midwest style of life or, or what people are perceived like in the Midwest, but still on their own individually, I thought they were really kind of in, endearing and, and fun and interesting. And, and I think individually they probably hit all the chords that the writer meant for them to hit. Um, just when there's so many of them, it's a little, little overwhelming. Um, you know, the villain was the villain. It was what it was. Like I said, the story was okay. But I mean, there was really some great characters and really some funny stuff. I'm not going to read from pictures I took with my phone because we had a paper copy of this book. So, um, but I did find myself chuckling out loud um, quite a bit. So I am going to go ahead and give this three and a half stars. All right. I knew going into this book that it was a big risk because um, uh, we talked about the band. Residence very experimental and very weird, so I was like, eh, we might be going down that road. But it's also their first novel, so there's definitely that road. There's that to contend with, and I think that a lot of the um, the strong complaints that Louis and I have about the book um, can solidly be explained away as it being the first time this person or these people have written a novel. Um, just some like you know rookie mistakes, and so um, when the book started out, it sounded a little hacky when it was like from the first person perspective of of frank and um and it just sounded a little bit overboard like borderline purple prose in, in some points but that really kind of tamed down real fast and then it just became a comfortable easy story to read and for the most part like if you overlook some of the problems that we have with the plot if you just look at it from a like, readability perspective the readability is very high it's entertaining it keeps you involved in the story and everything and it's just, it's fun, like Livia said. Um, and I did like all of the characters, really. I didn't have any problem with any of the characters. The Crawford Beasley character, who's the bad guy. A little bit cartoonish, a little bit over the top. Um, but otherwise, I liked everybody else. Patty and her mom, absolutely the strongest storytelling in the entire part of the book. Um, we won't tell you what the ending is, but like Livius and I, in spoiler talk, had our, had our um, you know, problems with that. Uh, so overall, I would say that um, it's, for a first offering, a real good book. But it has a lot of the failures or downsides or downfalls of a book that is the first time you've written a novel. Like, there's some really weak points and stuff. So judging it in, like, the whole of literature, um, you know, it's 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 a bit of an underdog. Um but it was entertaining enough. Didn't really care for the way things panned out at the end. But um, uh, on a page-by-page -page basis, 
it was it was it was fun. So I think Livius is right on with this. I think this is about three and a half stars. It's so hard to like where do you give credit? Where do you lay blame? Yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about the residents. Um I've just done very, very minimal research. I believe Rob has also done equally minimal research on this. Um this band started in nineteen sixty nine. Yeah. And because um, nobody knows what their identities are, they typically or frequently would show up with like giant eyeball masks, like helmets, masks on stage. And any pictures you've got are are in in different. uh, I'm looking at one. One of them is dressed in an old man mask and like a robe. And the other two are dressed in some kind of monster. I don't know. Get up, whatever. Um, It's hard to imagine that these are the people. They'd be in their 70s, right? Legitimately, like let's yeah. say they started when they were 19 or 20 and it's been 50 years, right? Yep. So I have to imagine that some or all of these members are not the original members. So it's like you credit the band, but really if it was just one of those guys and was like, hey, my name doesn't mean anything because nobody knows what my name is, <laughs> you know, just right. throw the band name on it. You know, like I, I get why they would do that, but we don't even know that this is the first. Maybe this guy's got a book out or has multiple books out under another name. Yeah, but you it's make kind a, of weird, a good yeah. point. Well, it reads like a first book. No, I'm not. That. Yeah, I'll yeah. say that much. No offense. I guess offense if they're if it's not. <laughs> but it seems like in 2016, the band uh, members have actually given themselves fake names. Oh, gotcha. So, yeah, so they are now Randy, Chuck, and Bob. Randy, Chuck, and Bob making it happen. Right. So they're still anonymous and they still wear masks, but at least there's a differentiation, I guess, between three of them. So, but again, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe these guys are all 75 years old. It's crazy. I always want, you know, always wanted to write that book. That's where they're at in their lives. It didn't um, feel like this book was written by a seventy-year-old. I know that might sound ageist, <laughs> but this person seemed like they had that their their finger on the pulse of um, technology in a way most people that are at or around seventy don't. Good point. Yeah, that's fair. I've been around enough of those people to 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 agree heartily with the statement you just made. Um, I didn't mention. I don't know if this is even like bears mentioning, but um, uh, the the folks at Process Media sent us a review copy of the book, and um, that was very nice of them. Um, and, and along with it came a, a catalog for the for the publisher. Have you? How often do you see catalogs like printed catalogs for publishers? Um, I mean, I don't know that I've ever received one, and we I've received just like you, you know, dozens of. Yeah, publishers books. books, right? Yeah. yeah. So the, to give you an idea of the of the press that um, that published this, um, I think I was kind of telling you this before, right? Um, off the off the podcast, mm-hmm. but yep. um, there is just a variety of, um, and I think that one of the main things they do is music related books, so like books about bands or books by bands and you know stuff like that. But there's other stuff. So like on the first page, under an ionized under an ionized sky. From chemtrails to space fence lockdown, this would have been very good for <laughs> our previous episode. Um, so there's conspiracy theory kind of stuff. There was one title. Oh, look, the Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. So there's a Christmas looks like a horror story. There's a Prince coloring book. 
Um, there's a book called Horizontal Collaboration, The Erotic World of Paris from 1920 to 1946. I mean, honestly, I don't think you mentioned a book that I wouldn't be willing to read. Um, Orgasmatron, The Heavy Metal Art of Joe Patagno. Oh, here you go. Hmm. American Hair Metal. There you go. I'm going, to read the, I'm going to read the description of this. There was a time not so long ago when pomp and spandex dominated MTV and pop radio playlists. American hair metal celebrates this orgy of flamboyance, androgyny, and animal magnetism of big-haired big alpha males and the beautiful women who surrounded them. Yeah. Um, sounds like that's right up my alley. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I every book you read, I was like, oh, I could... I could I could read that like I don't know <laughs> it's um it's definitely a variety of topics like um yeah so interesting interesting if we ever get you know if the well gets a little bit dry we can always just reach out to um, process ink process media and say hey why don't you throw us a review copy of uh jeans giants monsters and men the surviving elites of the cosmic war and their hidden agenda and then we could just review that it's uh it's funny because you mentioned, and of course you read the hairband thing, but I received a book in the mail, Ooh. which is unusual because either we receive books in the mail yeah. or Rob receives a book in the mail. So Rob's <laughs> on mailing lists that I'm not on, but the ones I am on, Rob's on too. And I received a book in the mail that I, I know you didn't receive. And I will tell you, um, I'm only bringing this up because the book doesn't come out until September. And I think we're going to review this book because it came with an endorsement on it. And uh, if we're on Skype, I'd be happy to show this to Rob. But the endorsement is a uh, a post-it note, the, the, the three by three size with the nice. lines on it. And it says, this book is awesome with an exclamation point after it. Um, and this was sent to me by a close friend and sometimes co-host of this podcast, Jesse. Oh, no. So he spoke very highly of this book. Uh, we messaged a little bit, and he had said that this is uh, the most entertaining book that he's read this year. And I think we are going to um, do, I thought we might even do this next week, but then I looked it up and saw that um, September 18th is the release date. So <laughs> we've got a little bit of time, but it's called We Sold Our Souls. And on the cover is a person, I believe it's a man, uh, on his knees, but like leaned all the way back with the electric guitar holding up the devil horns in his uh -huh. hand. And it is a um it's about a heavy metal band in the nineties. It's a fiction book? Yes. Oh. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh uh but yeah, it's just funny that you that's the one you chose to read was the the hair metal yeah. one. <laughs> and and I have in front of me a book that up until, you know, I don't know, a half hour ago or forty five minutes ago, I was like, Well, this might be our next book until I realized that it wasn't being published for another two months. Yeah. Cool. I'm oh, down. speaking of which, the residence book comes out uh now. It's out now. Because we are yeah. reviewing it the day before it comes out. So if you were interested in the brick eaters, that is now available for you to purchase on Amazon and probably in some other places. Yeah, yeah. If 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 we compelled you to buy it, fun little read. Oh, one more uh, noteworthy thing. The Amazon page is way incorrect. It lists the print length at 128 pages, and I believe it comes in at... 247. Yeah, I was say right around 250, so... Yeah. I remember those things because I have to put them in my little That's spreadsheet, true. which I'm going to open up right now. Yep. Um, Rob, while we're on the music thing, I understand you went to go see an opera or something the other day. What did you go see? I don't know. So, like, um, I'm trying to decide if this is um, where generationally you fall. 
um, with this band. So I went to um, the re- the Radiohead show, and the it sat it was Saturday, July seventh, uh, in Chicago. Um, the Chicago shows were kicking off the, the American tour, and so I got to see the second show of the tour. Um, my first time seeing Radiohead, and it was stellar. It was incredible. Um, how do you how do you feel about Radiohead? <laughs> I actually knew Rob was going to see that, and my response was everything I know about Radiohead I learned from South Park. And I actually had the <laughs> so this is where I'm at with Radiohead. Right before this episode, I was like, oh, let me look up and see if I recognize any Radiohead song. So I couldn't even tell you that they did Creep, although I do know Creep and whatever. There was another song on there that I, I recognized. Um, yeah. I, I don't I don't dislike them. It's just not the kind of thing I would ever put on to listen to. So here's the thing. I'm at a point in my life. Uh, you may not know this, but I am turning 40 this year. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm at a point in my life where I just don't want to be at a concert, which is yeah. ridiculous to say because this is the second concert I've gone to in, like, the last five weeks. Um, the first one, I paid a lot of money to have VIP access. Um, and so that was a good portion of, of the reason why I actually went to that show. This one, it was one of those Radiohead's a band where I was like, if they ever come around and I can get tickets, it's worth going to. Um, because I have great, I knew I knew they would they would do a great live show, and I have a lot of admiration for the band. Um, the concert sold out immediately, and then they added a show. They gave like early access ticket purchasing to like some fan club that the person I went with was a part of. That sold out immediately, and then the actual regular ticket sales sold out immediately. So they were totally sold out both shows. This is when it's good to know a guy. I know a guy who knows a guy. And so I was like, hey, what do you think about getting tickets to this Radiohead show? And he's like, all right, just tell me how many you need and then how much you're willing to spend. And I was like, yeah, here here we go. And um, I got excellent seats, and I didn't have to pay too much money. I think I paid, like, what the average co- like ticket fee was, like the average price, like the lower price. Not like I didn't pay an exorbitant mm-hmm. amount of money. Um, but the, t- the seats were excellent, and um, I don't know... If it's just, like, you would think this would happen opposite of what I'm about to explain, but I feel like the sound quality of live concerts is greatly improved from what my impression was from when I was going to concerts when I was younger. I haven't been to a concert in years, but, I mean, it is technology, right? So, like, the sound in movie theaters has improved significantly over the last 25 years as well. So I'm going to have to guess that, yeah, there's probably something to that. Where did you see them? Because that that also plays an important role. It was at the United Center, um, which is, for anybody who's not from Chicago, it's where Chicago Bulls and, like, the Blackhawks play there too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a sports arena. Yeah. but man, crystal clear sound. Like I used to always try to line up like toward the middle of the stage, no matter how far back I was. Cause I figured mm-hmm. that was like the best sound based on how the speakers were arranged. Right. I was significantly to like the strong left of the stage and it was still crystal clear. I could hear everything great. And like, I had always, I always remember just like, like every instrument was so loud that it all just drowned each other out until like mm-hmm. you just heard a big mess of noise and you could kind of recognize the song, but like, like you couldn't tell the lyrics or anything. This was crystal clear. I was very... And, like, the same thing happened at the show I went to. The Primus show, the sound quality was just so unbelievable. And I was like, where... where? How long has this been going on? (laughs) 
No, I know what you mean. I spent a lot of time at uh, at, at shows in my um, younger days, and yeah, the sound the sound was always garbage. It's garbage. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I guess it's technology, right? So that can improve just like anything else. So um, I didn't realize that Creep song is ninety two. <laughs> yeah, that's from that's a really yeah. long time ago, man. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, excellent show. Very happy I went. And then I, what I did was, and I use Apple Music, but people could use, I'm sure you could do the same thing on Spotify or Pandora or whatever. Um, on Reddit, um, there was a thread that was going, this is insane. Um, a friend of mine, so I went with um, my friend Liz, and um, her husband is not a Radiohead fan. He wasn't at the show, but he was at home, and he was kind of checking up while he was doing whatever he was doing on this thread that um, on the Radiohead subreddit where some people were were updating the thread as the concert was going on and adding, like, each new song on the playlist, like the set list. And, like, when someone would upload a video on YouTube of one of the songs, they would, like, link it in there. So this, like, at home, John was following along with, he knew exactly what was going on in the concert. He wasn't even there. That's, um, that's interesting, because in my heyday of going to concerts, the internet wasn't, didn't exist. Right. Essentially. And, um... You could find playlists because, you know, eventually somehow some archivist or whatever would collect them all, however they would get them. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can even go on now and look up a set list from a, a show from 25 years ago and, and you're, you'll probably find it if it's a big enough band. It's yeah. interesting, though, because there are people at the show who are um, and, and I see this all the time, right, because you see it on social media or Instagram, right? Someone posts 38 pictures and they're busy posting them yeah. on Instagram while yeah. the show's going on. So, yeah, I guess there's a little different way to engage, especially if you're involved in a, in a subreddit for, and there for was something like, like that. links to Periscope streams. Like, this was, like, the most comprehensive, like, media, <laughs> like, a, a, a accumulation of media for – so, like, I can imagine if I wanted to – every date that radio has a show radiohead has a show i could essentially go to that show just by following the thread in the subreddit and like watching the live videos that are being posted and stuff like that it's pretty wild that's um that's really cool i may have to look into that i mean not for radiohead necessarily but there are some bands i do like but yeah i'm i'm with you and probably right around that same time in my late 30s i was like i'm just not cut out for this shit anymore <laughs> interesting postscript after we were leaving we were trying like we're getting we're we're navigating to drive home uh Liz receives a text from john that says um watch out for traffic a helicopter crashed on the highway on the dan ryan oh jesus i was like he's got to be joking like <laughs> there wasn't really a helicopter crash but when i looked at the maps and i looked at the traffic like the area where he said the helicopter crash was like massively like the road was closed hmm so apparently a helicopter crashed um, uh, that night. And you know what? There was another concert that I know we're You're like, let's wrap this up, Rob. <laughs> During the Radiohead show at a different venue in Chicago, the Pixies and Weezer were doing a show. Yeah. See, now I saw that and that was tempting because I've never seen Weezer live. Um, but the longer Weezer goes on, the less I like them. Sure. Yeah. Um. Like this whole thing with them doing Africa, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but man, that's just one of those bands where you're like, first album, brilliant. Second album, brilliant. Third album, really good. Now they're really trying to do that that thing where they write anthem songs so they could license them instead of like yeah. just writing great Weezer yep. songs. And that's. So they don't have to tour as much. They're making money yeah. off of licensing. Yeah. And although I wouldn't say I'm a big Pixies fan, I think that would be a fun band to see live. 
just imagine if you were a fan, a huge fan of all three of those bands, and you're like, "What the fuck am I gonna do? I can't go to both shows." Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm gonna I, go crash a helicopter in protest. My biggest, yeah, <laughs> my biggest issue with um, with shows is that a lot of the bands I'd want to see would just be general admission shows. So you had like seats, and when you have seats, yeah. you have your little cordoned off. 18 square inches or however much you get you have like a space (laughs) and shows that i want to see are just a bunch of pushing and shoving or you're all the way in the back like kind of chilling out and whatever and i'm not an all the way in the back kind of person if i go to a show i'm I'm happy to get out there two hours early wait in line make my way up to the stage you know like that's my just post up yeah, that's my idea of an experience, which I know goes against like what you know of me, because like I don't like to leave the house and I don't really like crowds <laughs> and whatever. But if I'm going to a show, like I want to do it right. But, I got it. Yeah. yeah, I was talking to listen. I was where I was pointed. I pointed to the the general admission, and I was like, "Look at those fucking cattle." Yeah, and, and I was like, "You see those people back?" And I pointed to the very back. I was like, "That would be me. Those three girls right there. That would be me." Yeah, she, I can't. I can't slash won't do shows like that. Like. Yeah. I just yeah, yeah, I have to have and I have to have a certain like um guarantee of like a level of comfort. Mm-hmm. Um did I tell did we talk about the Primus show at all? Um No, no, not from not from that standpoint, no. I'm just gonna dip into this really fast because like we went um so weirdly, Primus I went with John, who is the husband of Liz, who I went to the radio head show with. So I'm going to concerts with this married couple, but separately. Um and I didn't want to do general admission, so we bought seats, and they were like the fir- first row of seats, just beyond beyond general admission. And I was thinking, like, because when we got there, it's just basically a flat parking lot, so there was no like sloped lawn or anything like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, great, someone's going to stand in front of us; it's going to be annoying. The security at the place we were at in Northerly Island, the Huntington Bank Pavilion, like if anybody stood at the fence that was like in between my seats and the the, the pit. Like the security people would walk around and like shoo them away. So I, I always had a clear oh, nice. view of everything. It was great. I could sit down and I could just see everything. And I was like, this is amazing. So now I'm kind of getting hooked on like convenience at concerts, but <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be going to any concerts anytime soon. I spent my teenage years waiting out overnight for tickets. Yep. So that I would sit in like the fourth row. Yeah, like it's like Carson the best Perry's I got. <laughs> yeah. I used to, I used to go to Rose records in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Um, Lincoln, Ashland, and Belmont, and uh, I don't know, 20 times, 18, 15 times, I don't know. But it was always like you'd get there, you'd hang around across the street till you saw the manager leave Yep. because you weren't supposed to do that. So, oh, so there's no one to shoo you away? Right, yeah. So the second, like, the you know, the, the, the lights went out and the person that had the keys left, like, you know, people would scamper out of the shadows. Like, you know what I mean? Usually like a group <laughs> or two. Or you'd have the worst thing ever where... You're out there and it's ten fifteen at night, and the next person shows up at three a.m. So you just wasted so you're like, like five hours. Oh, I could have been here at two thirty and still been first yeah. in line. But I guess they they probably always reserved like even at first in line. I got fourth row probably six times. Wow. So I'm thinking those first three rows are probably just reserved for. And this is all pre-internet. Like you couldn't buy them there. It's like Rob said. You go to Rose Records. You can go to a couple of like Carson Peary Scotts. I remember when Jewel got Ticketmaster. Yeah. Yep. That was big. Well, and it sucked because that means there are more locations for there to be someone first in line. Right. There so you went from more, having like seven or eight. Ones. Yeah. To having like 40. Yeah. So any rate. And I mean, I just remember like, <laughs> like 
like ticket scalpers would show up like 10 minutes before like because they'd give out numbers and they'd show up with like a van filled with like homeless people that they would pay to just grab a number and then it would be this yeah it would be this this discussion between like myself the record store person and the guy from the scalping company where i'm like listen this motherfucker just pulled up here with 20 homeless people some of us have been out here all night long right. like you know and, and, and mixed results sometimes you'd, you'd win that battle um and sometimes you you didn't so yeah it was uh it was just an issue of if they were going to do random numbers or if they were going to give it to you the way you wound up in line like, yeah so by and large we were able to convince people to give it to us in the order that we were there there's only two shows that I ever lined up for for tickets. Um, Why am I going to? I'm just going to take a stab that these are not concerts I would have gone to with free tickets. Let, let's hear it. One of them, absolutely you would. Uh, the second one I'm going to mention, absolutely you would have, I believe. So the first one is actually the last time I just saw a show at the United Center in Chicago was Friday, October 13th, 1995. It was Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. Nope. Yeah, I knew you wouldn't go to that one, but yeah. Uh, I don't know why I remember that date, but that was 22 years ago. It was the last time I saw a show. At I the... can't believe you went to that show, let alone wait outside for tickets. <laughs> um, I was pretty easy going back in the day. I'd go to any show. Um, okay. But then the other time I lined up for tickets was ACDC. Oh, yeah, I did. I mean, I actually did for yeah. ACDC. <laughs> so, like, yeah. And that was, uh, we ended up about 20 rows back, but we were like dead center. And it was probably the one of the best concerts I've ever been to. What year was that? Do you remember? It had to be mid to late 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess you would have been a little young. I probably in 90, 90 saw them. It was on the Thunderstruck tour, oh, whatever yeah. that album came out. Yeah. But yeah, I waited out for those tickets all night long. Yep. All right. That was you've You've been listening to Concerted? Concerted? Well, we kept it, though. I mean... It's all about keeping it on point. We read a book by a band. Yep. And then we talked about um, music, a, another book yeah. by a band. And then we talked about concerts. So um, one more thing to talk about. I just want to reiterate what we said at the top of the episode. Bookedpodcast.myshopify.com is how you can get uh, a booked T-shirt or a booked coffee mug or a booked tank top or a booked hoodie. Hoodie, dude. All kinds of stuff. The hoodie I put on there just so Rob could have one. I'll be honest. I was yeah, like, oh, it's fucking bullshit it. hoodie. And I was like, Rob's gonna want a goddamn hoodie, so we're gonna upload a hoodie. Um, I I don't want to like we're gonna take it away. Um, it does cost us money to have the Shopify store up, so I can tell you, don't wait forever because at some point I'm gonna be like, I'm tired of paying this bill every month if we're not selling a couple T-shirts. So. Um, get them while they're hot. If you're in the UK, I promise we're going to figure out something for you guys in August. So we're going to leave the store up the way it is. And then I'm going to have to kind of change some things, but there will be an opportunity for you in the UK to have reasonable shipping. I'm going to go on a limb and say probably $5 shipping for you in August. And we're going to figure it out, but we want to get the store open and we want to get, uh, we want to get our, we want to get our stuff on some people's backs, which sounds so much worse than fronts. what I was, yeah, than what I was, <laughs> I thought that was going to sound. So one more time, bookpodcast.myshopify.com. I also understand there might be a shorter URL coming for that. It's a possibility. So uh, we don't know exactly what we're doing next episode, um, but we got some some good books coming up. So um, join us then. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudden. Keep rocking. see what you did there. <laughs>